Welcome to the Human Everywhere podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jason Bott, and we are excited that you are here with us. Human Everywhere comes out of Deep Space Predictive Research Group. We are focusing on what it means to be human in space. Earth is our base camp. It's our starting place. And reality is all of the rest of space, when you look up, that is everywhere. And as we head out into space, we want to make sure that we are focused on what it means to be us, to understand that space is not just about engineering, although it's that, it's not just about rocket science, although it's that, but it's also about art, it's about history, it's about psychology, philosophy, ethics. And we wanna make sure that in the exploration of space as we begin to take these initial steps, that that is part of the conversation. Let me turn it on over to our other host to welcome our guest and get us started for today. All right, thank you, Jason. Hello, everybody, I'm UBC Mignetti part of Deep Space Predictive. Yeah, welcome to the Human Everywhere podcast. Um, and today uh, we've got the CEO of Cislunar Industries, Gary, Gary Kalman, who uh, I had the pleasure of meeting through a mutual friend of ours a few years ago, who was like, hey, wait, you're both doing some space stuff. Why didn't you guys connect? So we did. And it's been great to see the evolution from, from that point to now. And so first of all, welcome, Gary. How are you? Happy New Year. What's going on? <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a, I'm excited to be on the podcast today and give you some insight into you know our story and you know how how we see cislunar industries making an impact on humanity expanding out into the universe. So awesome. Yeah, I love it. Let, let, let's start with kind of the where the idea came from. How did you even think about and get get cislunar off the ground? Yeah. So um, you know, I think the my personal story is is sort of relevant here. I had. I don't have a background in engineering um, or, or, you know, the hard sciences or anything like that. I come from a, a finance, business, entrepreneurial background. However, I did start out my educational career, um, you know, as a, a, a cadet of the Air Force Academy. I was in the astronautical engineering program there, decided that that, that path wasn't for me and ended up at CU Boulder um, and did, you know, more economics, business and kind of went down a different path. Uh, but I always had this passion for space. And that goes even way back to when I was a kid. I can remember drawing up, like taping together pieces of graph paper to draw moon bases and things like that. So, um, you know, it goes back far. And, uh, you know, going to the Air Force Academy was part, you know, was originally a, a plan to become an astronaut and sort of become a test pilot and a, an engineer and then become an astronaut, you know. Um, but anyway, as I left that path and went into this more business entrepreneurship path, um, you know, this was around, I graduated from college in 2001, and I was doing my own startup at that time. Um, and, you know, at that time, you, space was not really accessible to entrepreneurs. There were people trying to do things. There had been this entrepreneurial space has, has been attempted a few times before, um, but, you know, it hadn't really emerged yet. So that wasn't really a path for me anyway. And as I went through my career in finance, um, I always had my eye on space, trying to think of ways that I could get back into it. Even almost went back to school to be an engineer and start at the beginning again. Um, wow. And I found out about this program called the International Space University. And uh, if you're not familiar with that, it's a program that's been around for 30 years, or a little bit more than 30 years. They run a master's program in France and they have a, a, um, a, a nine week seminar that they run in the summertime that goes from city to city to city. It's like, a, you know, a mile wide and a foot deep. And it hits a little bit, some of what you were saying about, you know, uh, space not just being, or 
oftentimes we look when we look at space, we we uh, we see the engineering and the technology pieces of the puzzle. At, at ISU, they very much focus on you know the space industry is much more than that. It's not just the scientists and the engineers, but it's like literally all of society is going to have an impact in space eventually. And so they have this really nice broad scope of education that brings in people from all walks of life, from something like. 30 or so nations are there represented at this at this event and you just go deep into it and that was my way of breaking into the space sector and as i went into um this the international space university i i had this vision for uh wanting to be out on the frontier of space so this was back in 2017 and prior to that i had learned about um the pioneering efforts of uh, deep space industries and planetary resources to sort of open up asteroid mining. I thought, oh my God, this is actually becoming real now. And also we've seen like the progress of SpaceX and other entrepreneurial space companies kind of showing that this is now not just the province of governments, right? So my mind started to open up that now might be the time for me to go back to my entrepreneurial roots, get into the space sector and try to, um, like I just decided that, hey, even though I'm coming from the outside, I can use this experience to join the space sector and create my own company. And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I wanted to be on the frontier of where we were, where we were going. And, and I even thought of the name for some reason. Um, I don't even remember how it came out, but I had some inspiration at some point prior to going to ISU uh, for Sislinger Industries as a name. And it happened to be available as a dot com. So I was like, oh, <laughs> there you wow, go. I'm just going to grab that. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm going to grab yep. it in case I need it. Uh, and um, when I went to ISU, I had this, I, I actually quit my job as a director of finance because I didn't want to have it be too easy to go back in, into that job. And I could have taken a sabbatical and just gone back to it. But uh, I wanted to make this shift into the space sector. I wanted to be, I wanted to start a company. So when I went there, we I actually just sort of looked around for other uh, like-minded people who could join this effort, who were interested in starting a company with other complementary skills. You know, I had finance and business background. I needed some people who had some engineering and space background. Um, so I found a couple of people who were interested in that, and we literally just sat down on uh, you know in, in a room in front of a whiteboard, and we both wanted to be out on the frontier of space. Um, and we just kind of brainstormed what was already happening. You know, there were companies working on asteroid mining. There were companies working on lunar mining. There were companies working on in-space manufacturing. But there weren't really any companies that were focused on processing the metals on the, in, the, in the middle of that industrial value chain. <clears throat> and of course, companies that were planning to mine things from asteroids had ideas about mining metals, right? So that was not out of their roadmap, but it wasn't a focus, right? We thought there's an opening there. And at the same time, we were looking at, um, you know, the we were learning about space debris. I, I became much more aware of it when I was at that program. And the, the light bulb was really, well, there's all this mass out there already. It's already refined metals. Like, it's close by. We know where it is and who owns it and everything. Shouldn't somebody try to mine this debris belt, you know, and, and see if we can do something with it? Uh, you know, and, and that's like a pretty naive question because a lot of challenges with orbital mechanics and, and whatnot, but conceptually it's there. We, we should do something with it. You know, a lot of energy and money has been expended to get it up there. If we can make use of it, then we can solve the debris problem and we can kickstart this space resources thing for metals, um, you know, at the same time. And so all of that kind of fit together and we, we planned, we discussed that with advisors at ISU, <clears throat> kind of continued to build the idea 
um, and just got more and more encouragement as we sort of uncovered different rocks around what were the challenges we were, uh, we were running into. Ended up talking to one of the founders of Maiden Space in one of those classes and posed a question to him like, hey, um, if somebody could sell you raw materials that were derived from space debris, would that be interesting to you? And he's like, yeah, I mean, some, we often thought that somebody should do that. Um, so you know, that was another sort of validation that, hey, maybe there's a market for the product at the end of the, at the end of the day as well. And then, you know, thinking about the bigger picture, like what drove me to want to do all this, this kind of helped to feed back into that because I, I sort of, uh, my, my, my driving motivation really was that I wanted to make an impact on, on humanity's expansion. I wanted to find a way to sort of make my dent in the universe on space and, and getting people out there and making all the science fiction that I love to read and listen to and audiobooks and watch on TV and movies. Um, to become a reality, at least the good parts of it. <laughs> right. And, right. Um, and, and, you know, this was a way to make an impact there. And if you can make an impact on something that's, you know, out on the frontier that has a, you know, consequential outcome, then you're also going to become uh, wealthy or whatever that, you know, there's hot prosperity that derives from that. And, and obviously that's nice, but really I just wanted to, I want to go to space someday and I wanted to enable humanity to go to space so that I can go to space. The cost of going to space can become lower. You know, I, before I went to ISU, my daughter was three at the time and I made her this deal, um, uh, partly to hook her into space, you know, as well, <laughs> but I made her this deal that, Hey, I'm going to go here and I'm going to work on this idea because um, someday you and I are going to take a trip to the moon. We're going to go to the moon together. And so I have this standing deal with my daughter that we're going to go on a, on a uh, you know, lunar trip together. I love that. Yeah, I mean, what an incredible story. And, you know, it's, it's what's interesting. So like you said, you know, back, you know, when you graduated, there, there wasn't, there wasn't this um, sort of open door for anyone to understand and, and get involved within the space industry, right? Right. which is a shame, you know, it's, we've, Star Wars, Star Trek, right, we've had all of this amazing science fiction, but it's, for some reason, there was just kind of this, like, no accessibility to that, which is, it kind of, it's sad in a way, because ideas like yours, think about that on a scale of, you know, 7.5 billion people on the planet, right, like, could you even imagine if we were all involved in some way, right? The things we could have accomplished by now. And right. so that that's why it's it's this it's fascinating. And I think now, like you said, now uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the doors are opening up. We're seeing people actually take those steps to make this a reality. And I think that's why this conversation is so cr critical now because we can't we can't just sit back and wait for you know, government entities or, or right. whatever to make it happen for us. Because right. it hasn't yet. And so it's, I, I just, yeah, I, I love it. And it's, and I love the deal you made with your daughter because that kind of keeps, that, that really keeps the focus on the human. Yep, exactly. At the end of the day, it's yeah. for the two of you. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think, you know, going out and exploring space with robots is great. And it lets us get out to places that are dangerous right now where we don't have the technology to take humans. But I mean, come on, you know, human beings, I think it's part of our nature. We want to see what's over the next hill, you know? And uh, I, 
I just to fulfill our destiny, I feel like we need to go out into into the solar system and beyond and find a way to do that to sort of to spread um, to spread the good things about humanity out into the solar system and, and yeah. fulfill that curiosity and advance uh, society in, in many ways. So um, I, I think it's all good for you know people often usually I get this question about like, uh, well, what about should we shouldn't we focus on you know the the problems we have here on Earth before we go out out into space? This is like typical common question people get in in the space industry, right? And I think it just misses. Well, first of all, you can do two things at the same time. <laughs> but I also believe that that you know that expand like our only hope for for continuing to have an abundant future for humanity, an increasingly abundant future for humanity, is to go out into the solar system and learn how to utilize those resources to remain unconstrained as, as a, a species um, and, you know, as, as a society so that we're not like trying to figure out how to manage the limited resources we have, because out there, we really have an unlimited, effectively unlimited amount of resources that could you know, really raise the level of prosperity for all of humanity, not just the people who are going on this thing. Um, yeah. I see it as a, a you know, a, a, not, not to mention the fact that we gain all the knowledge we have about things like climate change and whatnot from space for the most part. So if we're going to solve these problems, we need space. Right. Um, so, you know, that's just a, a side that I thought of <laughs> you know, from that line of thinking. But Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it can absolutely be a, a two-way street. There's no, yeah. there's no reason that the things that we figure out in space can't somehow impact Earth for the better. I mean, they, like, they do all the time. They do <laughs> exactly. Jason, where does your head go? Like when you when you hear about cislunar and, and what they're doing, like where does your where does your brain take you? Well, it's actually interesting. I have been a little bit fascinated by the painting that is over Gary's uh, left shoulder there. <laughs> of the Spanish galleon heading out into the sea. And it's interesting, as you're talking, I keep thinking back to that early age of ocean exploration and recognizing that we're sitting on that very cusp. But, you know, the, the hard part of it is, and this is where the conversation gets difficult, is, you know, you look back at those early years of, you know, ocean exploration, how many lives were lost in that there were so many different competing philosophies between how humans were utilized then. You know, mm -hmm. human as the explorer or human as resource, human as capital. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's interesting is, A, hearing your motivation, uh, it's very similar to ours, you know, with the passion for science fiction. I want to do this. I want to go there. I want to be there. So how can we make that happen? Uh, I, I think it's really interesting that, you know, uh, you go back to Simon Sinek, who says you've got to begin with the why. Mm -hmm. And right. you've got the why in place. And I think it's really important that we even have that conversation. Why is yeah. it really important to have the right why now? Because we're, we're, we're still trying to figure out the how. No one's done it yet. We're still in the how and the why. Um, you know, so I guess maybe that would be kind of a, some of the questions I'd have is, well, how is Cislunar really making sure that that why is really in the corporation, is in what you guys are doing? Because you guys are going through a lot of ramp up. I got to imagine as an entrepreneur, that's something that you're thinking about is how do I make sure that my company 20 years from now 
is still capturing the vision that I have right now, that that little passion that I had when you shared with your daughter, that that passion is echoed and replicated. You know, maybe I know this is a bit of a business philosophy, but I think that is part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we're, we're on the cusp of, um, you know, starting to hire people and bring on the team and expand it. Um, and, you know, we've got our phase two uh, NASA SBIR that we hopefully will will hear positive news about here up in February when it comes out. Um, and, you know, there's lots of opportunities on the horizon. Uh, and we're certainly, yeah, trying to grow to capture these opportunities and, and sort of deliver the goods, right? So it is an in- interesting question. We've talked about this a lot, actually. <laughs> Finding the time, though, to, to really like sit down as a company and say, okay, how are we going to define our company culture for, for all the people we want to bring on is challenging because there's like, there's already too many things on the plate. Um, I think it's really important for us to do this. And right now it's, it's so far been somewhat ad hoc because the, you know, the founders of the company are the principals running it, doing everything day to day right now. And, you know, we came together because we have a shared philosophy. We all, we all want this sort of future to be real. So right now it's sort of easy to maintain that. Um, I do think about like, how, how do we, how do we do that? I don't know if I have the answer yet because we're still figuring it out. <laughs> um, but I, I think, yeah, I mean, how do you get it out to the, to 20 years soon when it's, you know, when the corporation is, when we've hired new CEOs to, to run operations and, you know, we're probably more in the visionary status in the company. Um, I don't know. That's, that's interesting. Right now it's like, how do we make sure that we can get to the end of next year <laughs> and and keep moving the ball forward and finding opportunities and ways to to develop um, the you know the business forward? Um, I mean, part of it is is just you have to. Part of our our whole philosophy is like, well, we have to be comfortable with uncertainty. We anybody who comes in this company at this stage is got to be comfortable with uncertainty and believe in this goal. And this is part of like, why do you have to have the why? Because when you're trying to do something that's so out on the edge of, of what's been done already, and you're wondering, are you going to get support from you know governments that would give you a grant, or will investors come in? Like you have to go before you know the answer to those questions. And then there's also, well, we don't exactly know how we're going to do some of these things. We have sort of a vision of what we think it should do, and we have enough knowledge to know that it's possible, right? But we don't know the exact way, and that's where the iterative engineering pieces come in, you know, and that sort of design aspect. But, but like without that why to sort of anchor yourself, it's very easy to become totally stressed out. I mean, if we were just trying to do something to make money, this is not the easiest way to do it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so um, even in the space industry, this is not the easiest way to do it, right? We're trying to pick something that's pretty far out on the edge of where the industry is, but if we can make it work, it should fundamentally change the conversation about things like space debris. Um, and I, I don't think we talked about this before the call, but but we, uh, we recently submitted a response to a uh, request for comments on the National Orbital Debris Plan, which has came out last year. And I think they're, they're sort of having listening sessions this week and at the White House about this. And you know, as we were putting that together, um, really crystallized, not a new idea for us, but that with, with our idea for recycling space debris in the middle of the, the value chain for you know, the debris removal and in-space manufacturing, uh, we can actually change the, all the conversation and all the policies are all about how do we do this in a way that's you know, 
inexpensive enough to be viable, right? It's all about how do we minimize the cost for removing debris? Like we have to do it. It's kind of a tragedy of the commons type problem. Who's gonna pay for it? How are we gonna do it? Um, and, and as we were articulating our ideas to, to that response, to us, we wanna to try to transform the whole discussion from how do we minimize costs to how do we maximize opportunities, ec economic and otherwise, from this debris that's already up there. Because if we can turn it into a resource, we can help to pay for the debris removal and we can help to accelerate the development of industrialized you know, uh, economy in low earth orbit and beyond, because we can use those resources at a lower cost than bringing them up from earth. Um, and then we can also avoid the potential negative impacts of deorbiting so much mass as we will see you know, as these mega constellations emerge and proliferate. Um, we don't really know what the consequences are going to be of having so much aluminum falling through the atmosphere. So, you know, it would be better if we can use it all in, in orbit. And if we can do that, we actually enhance the business case for SpaceX. We enable those constellations to go up and we, and we turn a profit. And now it's not just environmentally sustainable, but it's also economically sustainable. So, um, you know, that, that the, the idea of like transforming the whole discussion and trying to make it, you know, make it sustainable in that way, I can all feeds back into how we're trying to make an impact on this stuff. <clears throat> Boy, that's huge. I it's uh, I, I love it. And one one of the things you said early on um, was this uncertainty piece um, th that does sort of make it, and maybe that's what's sort of held people back from really jumping into the discussion and jumping into the industry. Because it, you know, to your point, it, there's so much uncertainty out there. Like it's not. You can only prove so much so far here on Earth. Yeah. And so you, you, you have like, gravity out there, so it's different. <laughs> right. And so you're, it's, I mean, it's truly like the, the why is sort of this, this dream that doesn't really become clear for a while. And it's a, it's a little bit of an article of faith in a way. <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's grounded in analysis, right? You can do sure. enough, enough analysis to, try to reduce the risk for investors and for yourself. Um, but, you know, at the beginning, of course, the entrepreneur always has to be willing to accept a high degree of uncertainty. And I kind of like, for me personally, I sort of get bored if that's not a feature of my life. <laughs> so I think I'm just kind of, you know, I think some of us are built a certain way where, um, you know, the uncertainty doesn't, it, it actually is something that, brings that breathes life into the experience instead of um taking away from it in some negative way right mm -hmm. um so I, I don't know if that's just takes certain people to that it, it might be that once once the company becomes stable and developed i want to move on to something else you know <laughs> so <laughs> but at that point the impact would have been kicked off right right absolutely okay i want to kind of twist a little bit back here um yeah. And this is just more just for entirely fun sake. You said some of the early science fiction you read. I'm curious, you know, having Frank White and we got into that and uh, he was our first guest and having been the writing partner with Isaac Asimov, there's been a little bit of an undercurrent or a subtext to a lot of our conversation that some of that early science fiction is now becoming very, very critical to motivation. And I'm just mm -hmm. curious what story stuck out in your mind? Um, you know, are there any things that you're come back to and say, was this or even a movie, a film, you know, uh, 
or just general themes that has kind of, you know, captured your ideas, you know? Yeah, I mean, in the space science fiction, I guess early on, you know, of course, it was things like Star Wars and Star Trek. For me, as a kid, it was more like a Star Wars thing than than uh, than Star Trek. I would say just, but not recently though. I've, be, I've become enamored with the latest version of, of Star Trek. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because my my favorite science fiction kind of gets replaced by the last thing that I saw that was my favorite science fiction. So, you know, my favorite one right now is The Expanse, um, and. Sure. I don't think that I want to see the societal, uh, you know, <laughs> setup that happens in that in that uh, show. I love it because it's, although you know, despite the fact that, that that's not what we're aiming for, right? It it uh, it sort of takes it adds a, a bit an element of realism to think like eh, human beings don't change that much. You know, if we go out and expand it into the solar system, we might find the same problems that we have here on Earth if we don't actively try to do something to change it, right? But the other aspect of the expanse that I love is that it takes you a couple hundred years into the future, not that far away. And um, <clears throat> all the science, the, the technology that's being used is like physically vi- viable. It's possible, right? Except for maybe like the ring gates or things like that that are sort of <clears throat> obviously more, you know, fictional. Spoiler right? alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Don't say, <laughs> yeah, whoa, so. <laughs> holy crud. If you've not read the novels, that's that's early on in the novels and the and the series. Oh, that's at least book four. I mean, I'm just saying. You You mean dark? Anyway, yeah. I mean, I I I I think that that one that one has definitely had an impact on me. Um, the other one, I can't remember the name of it. Oh, one that another one that I thought was really intriguing was the whole culture series, which takes a whole different um, angle to the future, and it's sort of I haven't even pieced together the whole timeline because it seems to evolve separate from you know humanity on Earth, but human beings are certainly part of this this uh, world, and this whole idea of being in like a post scarcity society that's run by these you know mega intelligent AIs um, that you know that and I mean it goes through thousands of years of of timeline in that story, but um, you know that that one also was kind of interesting to me to sort of think through how does that work? It's like I think in that society, you have you basically don't need money anymore or any of that stuff. You, your basic needs are taken care of for you. You can kind of pursue what you're interested in as a human inside these ships that just run everything. And then there's still wars and things that happen, but um, you know for for different reasons. So that one was also kind of an, another interesting take on like a direction, sort of utopian kind of direction that you can go with things, like a post scarcity anarchist sort of <laughs> angle almost. But um, yeah. It, uh, that one was interesting. The other one that I've I've uh, I found myself diving into was um, what is it called? I can't remember the name of it. Sorry, so that one will have to we'll have to set that one aside. Maybe it'll come to me later. But <laughs> but right now the the expanse has been my most favorite one to look at. That one, and I've been uh, diving into the um, the new uh, Star Trek Discovery series, which I find you know uh, mm-hmm. pretty entertaining. Well, yeah. this latest discovery, I mean, it's uh, it definitely has aspects that it folds up with, in a way, almost that relaunch of a spacefaring society. I won't give in to spoilers and stuff. <laughs> um, you know, we'll be careful. Um, and, and I do, I, I am excited that you actually brought up the culture series because um, it's hard sci-fi that a lot of the hard sci-fi fans know, but it's not relatively well known outside of some of those tighter circles and Mm -hmm. uh, you know ian banks does just an amazing job and it's 
one of those rare, like massive series that you can literally pick up any single book. Oh yeah. And start there. And it's, they're all standalone. Like you yeah. can, and there, there's lots of interesting like sub stories that happen on the, on the planets that he builds, you know, like yeah. worlds that have I mean, virtual reality, which sort of feeds into this like metaverse that's being, you know, emerging here now. And, and like that, that the kinds of decisions people make to, you know, like live beyond death by living in virtual reality. And uh, there's all kinds of interesting lines of science fiction that happen in that, uh, that world that Ian Banks created. But it's interesting though, that you mentioned even going back to the expanse series, um, because I think the expanse series really is tied into what you're doing. I oh, mean, yeah. just even the idea of the belters, I'm mm -hmm. almost positive. There's a couple moments where you can see, science fiction technology that in a way echoes what you are actually trying to do in real life, which has got to be a charge when you're watching this show and like, I'm building that right now. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. Like those, that, that's why I, I like, I, I find myself often really liking the stuff that's not too far out in the future because it, yeah. it brings it into something that you could actually do now. And you know, I think a lot of ideas have been science fiction first and then they become science fact, you know, so it's, yeah. it served as inspiration for many innovators out there, I, I think. Totally yeah. agree. I, I think back to, you know, when you were talking about kind of the, the corporations, I, I think back to Alien, you know, because yeah. the Weyland Yutani, right? Like you've got this monolithic or even, you know, Blade Runner, right? Like, but, but like these huge corporations yep. that sort of take over and that's what it's defined by. And that could very easily become science fact. Oh, There's sure. No question. <laughs> no question. And so yeah. that's, you know, it's, it's I, I love science fiction um, because it, it, to me, it is sort of preparation. Like, let's prepare the masses for <laughs> what's very possibly going to come down, the, come down in the future. Mm -hmm. And... I was even thinking, you know, when you were talking about your culture and your why and all that, I mean, you could almost write a science fiction book about cislunar and the work you're doing. <laughs> that will be a reality. Yeah. But it, well, it is, right? But, but you know what? You could almost write a book and do it like 50 years out. And that'd and be really fun. If only, if only I had the time to do that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You might need to hire somebody. But, you know, <laughs> that, that's where we're at right now is, is that this is kind of cool. Like you could almost you know we, we can write these science fiction stories that will turn into fact really quickly and i think and and, and I, it's just i love this time that we're in and um you know i guess where you know kind of final question ish you know what i mean what is like where do you see it in 20 years where do you see cis lunar in 20 years yeah so i mean i, I we we see we want to be sort of the, the, the steel mills and the aluminum smelters of this, of this century. You know, the, we, we see a whole industrial revolution happening in space, the, the next industrial revolution happening in space. Um, and, and like I said before, I think it's going to transform everything. I think it's going to open up uh, an abundant future for humanity that would otherwise not be available to us. Yeah. Um, and so for Cislunar Industries, you know, we we want to be kind of at the center of that. We want to, we see uh, our, how our system 
as it is imagined now, is sort of the seed to build this whole you know, ecosystem of being able to enable all these other companies to flourish by providing them with the materials they need um, and you know, helping to solve problems like space debris by making it sustainably, economically sustainable uh, to solve that problem. Um, so in 20 years, I, I, I mean, 20 years, let's see. I think in 20 years, we will have people on Mars, probably at that point, we'll certainly have a base on the moon. You know, this is, so, of course, barring like any, um, you know, catastrophes here on Earth that like a war or something like that. But but if, if things kind of stay stable for the most part, then I think, you know, we're heading that direction. It's being accelerated now because there's, um, you know, a competition happening geopolitically between the, the space powers out there sort of aligned with the United States and our allies and China and Russia and whoever ends up with them. Uh, and as long as that stays, you know, non-combative, then I mean, non like physically combative, uh, non-kinetic, if you will, um, then I think it'll be good for, for the development of this because a little competition kind of helps to focus the mind of politicians and, uh, and, and the innovators out there as well, and it should accelerate progress. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to be, we're going to start here on Earth, you know, on, on, in Earth orbit with, you know, this debris removal stuff. We're going to um, bring that capability out to the moon. Uh, well, I, I imagine having, you know, a capability at L1, which seems like a great place, you know, that point between the Earth and the moon where there's that balance out of gravity, um, for anyone who's not familiar with that concept, at that point, it would be a great spot to have like a shipyard. So, you know, I think this is again going to the science fiction concepts, right? But really that makes a lot of sense. If we want to build larger scale interplanetary spacecraft, you know, we, we imagine being there to um, process spacecraft when they're done with life and recycle them and also take the materials that are coming in from the moon and from the asteroids and from earth even, um, and from, of course, from recycled materials to help build the big structures that can you know, be the backbone of some of those spacecraft. Same goes for like space-based solar power is another thing that, that could be um, enabled by you know, our ability to manufacture large structures in space because once we're up there, we can feed those machines and they can make kilometers long pieces of, of structural um, materials that could then be used to build large things like space-based solar power. Um, so I see us there and really wherever human beings are spread out, they're going to need an ability to process metal. So it's going to be, you know, in, in cislunar space, it's going to be on the lunar surface. It's going to probably be on the Martian surface um, in orbit around Mars and wherever else we go. You know, I mean, if you look at like the expanse universe, that's 200 years in the future. So that's a bit further out. But I mean, you know, we're on all the moons and really anywhere we can set up um, a habitable life. Right. Right. So, I, yeah, that's where I see us going. And, the, you know, we're talking about like thousands of microspace foundries at that point, because they're small and they're modular and they're meant to be distributed to wherever we, we need them. Um, and I'm sure we'll have larger scale facilities too at some point too, as, as this kind of expands out there. But I, we wanna be integral to that industrial economy and the industrial economy is what makes our modern life possible. Um, every device you use has metal in it. And uh, you know, for the most part, and it's not going to be any different in space. Uh, so, yeah. you know, we, we, we see a future where we can be in all those places. <clears throat> Love it. Yeah. Well, Gary, we are so appreciative that you've been uh, with us. Uh, you've been an amazing guest. Um, we're getting ready to sign off here. I think uh, in 60 seconds or less, what's next here for uh, what, Cislunar? I know you guys were just talking about, you know, the near future. 
but you know, people who are listening, they want to find out more information about you, you know, Hey, potentially I'm assuming you guys are still taking investments. Um, you know, if investors are interested, uh, how do people get connected with Cislunar? Yeah, so we, we have a website. Um, it's cislunarindustries.com, C-I-S-L-U-N-A-R industries.com. Um, and uh, we are actually in the process of updating that website to add more content. We'll have um, stuff on there about like the, the types of products we imagine over the near-term roadmap, and, as well as all the, you know, the, the media and uh, opportunities we've had to present to different groups. Um, and that's a great place to go for what, you know, what we're doing to see who's on our team, um, and, uh, who are, you know, aligning with all that stuff. Some of that stuff isn't there yet, but it's going to be there soon. Um, over the next year or so we have, you know, we have some big things coming up soon. We have, uh, our, we just finished our phase one SBIR back in the fall. It was a great success. We were able to take things from, uh, you know, concepts to working prototype, which we demoed, you know, live and at, at the Carl school of mines. Um, and we expect, we're hoping to have that continue forward with NASA uh, starting in February. Well, that's when we'll find out about the award. So start a little bit after that. Um, we've got the Space, Space Force's Orbital Prime, which is coming up now. And that seems like an ideal place for us to um, help the, the Space Force with their efforts for on-orbit servicing, assembly, manufacturing. And yeah, our, for us, we're, we're looking to take this thing to a parabolic flight um, sometime at the, you know, before the end of this year. Um, and, and that'll demonstrate that the idea works in some level of microgravity um, or simulated microgravity. And then we want to take it up to space uh, in around 2023 is what we're shooting for. So we have opportunities to go to the space station to demonstrate this technology for, you know, an extended period of time, say like a week or so um, on the, on, in the Bishop Airlock. And you know, that's the near term pace for us. We're aiming for a commercially viable product by 2025, which lines up really nicely for when things like Starlink are going to need to start deorbiting and we could maybe take care of some of that, um, where other companies like Nanoracks are going to have some of their platforms ready, where companies that are doing um, debris removal are going to have commercially viable uh, you know, spacecraft. So all that stuff is happening right in the middle of this decade, and we're going to be right there with them. Sounds fantastic. <laughs> well, Gary, thank you so much. Uh, on behalf of Deep Space Predictive, we are glad that you've been with us. And for everybody, you can check us out online, uh, Human Everywhere podcast. And we have had a great time here with Gary and Cis Lunar Industries. Thank uh, you. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Bye -bye. Gary. Thank you. Bye.